0: Well hello, I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago, and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal. So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week, we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. To start off, We will look at the Western medicine prognosis and approach to dealing with their diagnosis inside the square. Then we'll dip our toes a little deeper into their story where we talk about other empowering modalities that worked for those people outside of that square. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. So hang around with me while we explore living in and outside the medical square when it comes to loving your diagnosis. Today on the show, I'm gonna interview Belle H, as she wants to be referred to, who really has a really interesting story about her journey with endometriosis, stage four endometriosis, which is not just any endometriosis, it's the full-on painful doubled-over in agony kind of endometriosis. There are a lot of women who suffer from this, and I'll use that word because I don't usually like to use the word suffer with conditions, but I do know from speaking to hundreds of women with endo that it is a suffering that they experience. Endometriosis is a disorder in which tissue that normally lines the uterus grows outside the uterus. So usually every month a woman sheds that lining in the uterus and it's known as a period or your rags or, you know, monthly moon cycle or whatever you want to call it. But for a lot of women, they have lining that grows outside the uterus whether it's on the ovaries fallopian tubes or even the intestines and what that does to a woman is it can cripple them with pain so much so that they actually can't do anything because of the pain that they experience there are a couple of ways that you can treat endometriosis and we're going to find out all those ways in the upcoming interview with bell h so stay tuned you're going to learn a lot Welcome, Bell. It's a very special podcast because I met Bell through a DJ course hashtag that me and my biz partner started, and she's just become a little bit endearing to my heart. So, and she agreed to be on the show because she's a freaking legend. Thank you. I know you're a little bit nervy about doing this. Have you ever spoken about what you're about to speak about today?
1: Um, yes, I have not necessarily in a public forum. I think I'm a bit of, I get a bit annoying talking about it because it was such a a big thing that, you know, I'm a bit of a pest when I talk about it, but I've never been on a podcast before. So this is, this is quite new, but hey, why not?
0: Okay. Well, are you ready to jump straight in? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Well then the reason you're here is to actually talk about what you've been diagnosed with. So give us a little bit of a, a brief, Overview, what you've been diagnosed with, how long ago, and a brief description of what it kind of is.
1: Yes. Well, part of what I was going to talk about today is that what I'm talking about is in past tense. What I did have was stage four endometriosis. I remember when I was about age 12, and I think it was pretty early in my impuberty, being on the floor of my friend's bathroom vomiting and in excruciating pain because of my menstrual cycle and being like, what the hell is this experience? And that was pretty consistent for about 25 years until I opted to have a
0: hysterectomy when I was 38. Wow. So did you menstruate like every 28 days or with endo or or is it? Yes. Really? Yes. So...
1: My was pretty consistent, but it was for about three to four days of every month, I would be, I, I would be in a lot of pain. Like I, I can't, I don't know how it would measure on the pain scale, but it was awful. Like I often would pass out from pain.
0: Wow. So from 12 till 38, that is a very long time monthly mm-hmm. to have to deal with something like that. So basically, firstly, does it come, because I know that there are three ways that women get endo. And I worked for a medical cannabis company and I actually worked out myself that for some women, a lot of women that have endometriosis, a common theme is that they've been traumatized in their younger years. I put that together myself just from the hundreds of women that I spoke to with it and always went to that thing. But other ways you can get it is that it's genetic or that it's during birth or that that you've just been born with an abnormal uterus. Do you fall into any of those categories?
1: I think I would say genetic because other members of my family also have endometriosis. So, okay, yeah, I, you know, I am interested in the mind-body connection and sometimes I've wondered about it. I can't quite, I wouldn't identify as someone who's had significant trauma, uh, particularly not around my uterus or anything. So, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, I would say genetic. I feel it's pretty genetic.
0: Well, because I guess it's in your family, do you have sisters?
1: Yeah, I've got a sister. She's doing the DJ course. Of course, Kath. Yay. Does she have it as well? Yes. She said I could mention that she does. So I'm talking with her consent. So yes, she does.
0: Thanks, Kath. <laughs> so did your mum know immediately what it was, what you were going through?
1: I can't really remember what the conversations were about it, but I think so. Yeah. I remember it, like there was always an aprogesic around the house because that was meant to be the treat, you know, the painkiller for endo. you just scoff a bunch of naprogesics so it was always sort of present in the house that
0: you know but not discussed.
1: I think it was discussed. uh not you know past the potatoes how's your period kind of thing but there was sort of you know I'd say open discussion about it but I think too there was sort of a an acceptance that this is just how periods are this is what people have I remember my sister saying that Once in her peer group, they said to her, "Kath, you have really painful periods." Because we just sort of thought it was normal that when you got your period, it was like you'd be in excruciating pain, and you know your life would suck for five days. You just sucked it up. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, like not in the you know I don't want to throw shade at my family, but it was sort of like, oh, this is how it is.
0: Okay, wow, that's and that's really confusing for young teenagers, especially when your friends aren't experiencing it and you're going through all this pain. And you know, I remember as a teenager some. We didn't really discuss it. I remember learning how to use a tampon. Oh, we were drunk and out somewhere and, and there was a friend in the cubicle next to me going, at, just like explaining how to put it in, you know, and there were other people in the bathroom and she was just directing instructions at me going, so you put it on your finger and then put it in and it was aimed towards your coccyx. So it just wasn't really discussed.
1: Yeah, yeah. I read a lot of Dolly and Girlfriend magazines when I was a teenager because that's my vintage and they really did me such a service in educating me about my body and about sex and sexually transmitted diseases and contraception and consent. I really tip my hat to those magazines because, you know, things like Dolly Doctor and that, you know, you have much access to information about, you know, your menstrual cycle and your body and that, you know, like there's a lot of negativity about teen magazines. Well, there was, they're not really a thing anymore. and I think both of them are out of publication, but they really were great because, you know, you weren't going to talk about it in um, PE or whatever because everyone would, you know, take the piss. I remember
0: Dolly Doctor. It was brilliant. So good. I mean, they've got Frankie. There's Frankie's a magazine now, but I don't think they go into depth about the sexuality of things. No. Frankie's like fashion and... You... Tea
1: cosy. He's an tea cozy oh, I'm not knocking them. I, love, I bloody love tea cosies, but that's what I think of with Frankie.
0: So when did you then, as an individual, decide that you just had enough with this pain and need to go and and look into it further?
1: I remember being in a doctor's office and there was this fantastic doctor, Dr. Hilary Stevenson, in case she's listening, and I remember she was the first one who broached that I might have endometriosis. How old were you? I would have been somewhere between 13, 14, I want to say. Ah. I remember she was the one who first sort of said, oh, well, it might be you know endometriosis. And I think I was put on the contraceptive pill for that. And I think some girls in my high school found out about it and were calling me a slut. Did it help? No. This is sort of why eventually I opted for the hysterectomy, which I'll probably talk about. But I had such a gnarly reaction to oral contraceptives. I had one, once I took it and I had a period for a month, that would make me bonkers, like just not myself, like just feeling like I had like wild animals in my head and just. The side effects from the pill were just absolutely horrific. Even the smallest dose would just set me off to the races. I tried every single one, like Linda, Diane, you know, they all sound like tennis ladies, don't they, you know? And I tried all of them and they just weren't going to work for me. And it just felt wrong taking it. And that could be my own psychosomatic response, but I used to vomit or it just felt, you know, like it wasn't meant to be there.
0: How long did you give it a go for though?
1: I think I sort of stopped taking the pill probably in my early 20s, I want to say.
0: Oh, so you gave it a crack.
1: I did. Well, sort of on and off, like I would take it and then that would not work, so i try something else and then it was kind of on and off, I would take it.
0: Had you lost your virginity in that time? What,
1: before I was in my 20s?
0: 20s, yeah, before you got off the pill. Yeah. So I know with um, a lot of ladies with um, endometriosis too, that can be quite painful. Did you experience that as a symptom?
1: What pain during sex? Not really. No certain positions, yeah, but not really. Uh, Because I know that can be a big thing. Unfortunately, it wasn't really.
0: You know. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you need bigger dicks. (laughs) (laughs) So, so okay, twenty-one. You're still experiencing this. Did you go and suss it out deeper? Did you go down a deeper rabbit hole with it and start googling and finding out like other people in your situation? Or were you still kind of doing this solo and trying to nut it out?
1: Trying to nut it out. I just used to take so much ibuprofen. Oh, fuck. This is the thing. I just sort of accepted that this was my life. Like this is what you do. You know, like I didn't really have a particular hunger to fix this because I'm like, oh, this is just what you do. You know, you've got brown eyes, you've got long fingers, and you have a period pain once a month. You know, so I just sort of accepted that was my, my life in a way. I mean, I do remember... Like occasionally it would get really bad and I would faint and my coworkers would sometimes have to take me to the hospital. And I was living in New York at the time where if you go to the emergency room, it's $150 even if you have insurance. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation. So I remember always saying to my coworkers, oh, look, There's a chance that I might pass out. Don't worry. This is what's going on, blah, 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 blah. And um, I had so many ultrasounds and stuff. And the interesting thing with endometriosis is that, so I mentioned that the doctor said it might be endometriosis. The only way that they can conclusively diagnose endo is through a laparoscopy surgery because ultrasounds sometimes don't pick up endo. I had a tiny dot show up on an ultrasound done in 2014 and the doctor said, mm, it might be endo, it might not be, we don't really know. But just based on your symptoms, most doctors were like, oh, yeah, you've probably got endo, you know, it wasn't. Because it's, it's reasonably common, it's not an obscure diagnosis. But it was only when they cut me open as part of my surgery that they were like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you've got stage four endo, it was absolutely everywhere.
0: Well, I'll take you back though, before it was decided that you've got to get it looked at closer, was there any tests done or they just went, no, nah, we've just got to go in?
1: They usually opt to do the more conservative treatment measures first and usually that's the pill. And Most people, they go on the pill, they have no issues. Then the next step up is a Mirena IUD, which is also very successful in treating endo. But I got a referral to an OBGYN, this was in uh, Melbourne, and I said – I can't do it. <laughs> I said,
0: "What's OBGYN?"
1: Sorry, that's a stupid American speak. Obstetrician gynecologist. Cool. And I said, "Look, I've had such bad reactions to artificial hormones. I, I just can't do it. You know, I've got a really emotionally intense job. I just can't risk going bonkers from marine IUD." And so he said, "Well, there's some other options. One is called um a laparoscopy, where they can remove the endometrial lesions. Often people who have that." Have been able to get pregnant after that, but it does come back. The second option is a, I think it's called a endometrial ablation, where they cauterize the lining of your uterus, so you absolutely cannot get pregnant after that.
0: Were you wanting to get pregnant?
1: Oh, that was a that was a bit complex, but no. At this, by the time I was in this gynecologist's office, I was very certain I didn't. Okay. I wasn't going to have children, and my partner at the time was on board with that too. And then he said, or we could send you next door to women's. Hospital, and we can take it all out. And I was like, it was like I'd won the golden ticket in Willy Wonka. I was so excited because I didn't think I could get a doctor to agree to a hysterectomy because I was 38 at the time and they're pretty conservative about, you know, performing hysterectomy on someone my age. Somehow I got approved, and it was a pretty short amount of time that, you know, I was category one on the list and I. A couple of weeks later, it was
0: out. So that's just like, so between 21 and 38, you just suffered. I mean, let's let's talk about it. Like you absolutely suffered mm-hmm. and did it still by yourself. It's just remarkable. Other women, like particularly through my work as well, because they're just kind of pulling their hair out, not knowing what to do. Did you ever look down the path of changing diet, doing all that sort of thing, um, homeopathy, traditional Chinese medicine, all the, all the alternative ways of kind of dealing with, this and the pain, or did it not even cross your radar that that could fix it or help manage it?
1: It did a little bit. I remember I did get acupuncture, which was somewhat helpful. It gave, made me feel buzzy, but it didn't heal the pain. And my diet is pretty good anyway. Like I'm not, I'm a vegetarian. I tend to eat a lot of fresh fruit and veggies and stuff. There wasn't anything glaring in my diet that would suggest that there was a correlation between that and my endometriosis. And to me, it just It really did feel that I needed something like a medical radical intervention that might make me feel good for a bit like clary sage oil, which is supposed to be good for, you know, it might make me feel a little bit better. And I think that's important, but it wasn't going to heal the um, endometriosis.
0: So you suffered for freaking years and you've gone in. Talk us through the actual like surgery. What what did you have to were you nervous? Like, cause there's risks. What are the risks? It was
1: kind of funny. Like I was really gung ho about the surgery. Like, Oh, it's cheering. You know, I was like, yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. And then I remember just as I was getting ready to go into the surgery, I was like, Oh dear, I haven't got like a, a medical will or anything. So I said to my then partner, look, if anything happens, just pull the plug, pull the plug. Then I had to sit in the waiting room for the operating thing and you know, they put you in the funky gown and the funky hat and you're just sort of sitting there waiting. And the TV was on and there was a bunch of women's magazines. I would say about an hour into the surgery, or before the surgery, I was like, I'm making a mistake. I'm supposed to have kids. This is a this is a mistake. This is a mistake. What made it kind of worse, or not worse, but the surgeons were quite responsibly saying that we need you to verbalise that you understand that this surgery means you cannot have children they want you to go in knowingly and they want your consent I was aware that that voice saying you're supposed to have kids you're supposed to have kids was a little truth but it wasn't the whole truth and the whole truth and the bigger truth was that this was going to be a good thing to have this surgery and that I was just freaking out then I remember walking into that room because they make you walk in they don't wheel you in and that even felt like it had some symbolic weight to it because if you're wheeled in, it's sort of against your will. But if you're walking in, it's like something you're walking into. And there's sort of a sense of agency with that, which is in its own way kind of terrifying. And all these people in robes and surgeon gowns are kind of looking at you and you're like, hey, you <laughs> are you doing? And then the anesthesiologist, I don't know what you'd call it, put the thing and then I
0: woke up. When you were freaking out, did they, did they sedate you with anything so you could chill out, or were you completely compass mentors before you had to walk consensually in?
1: I didn't share that I was freaking out.
0: Okay. Of course, you didn't.
1: They would have understandably been concerned. And
0: the great Aussie Batlard didn't share that.
1: <laughs> and I knew myself well enough to know this is just a little blip in the system. You know, like, that's okay.
0: So you went in with a uterus that had let you down all yep. your life and you came out with nothing.
1: They kept my ovaries, but my cervix and my fallopian tubes and my uterus were gone.
0: Why did they keep your ovaries?
1: They generally don't like to take out ovaries in women under 55 because there's an increased risk of cardiac issues and also osteoporosis. And if they were to remove my ovaries, I would have to start hormonal replacement therapy. I think They thought keep the ovaries in, so I would, because I still have hormonal fluctuations each month, but I don't have uh, menstrual periods.
0: Did you think of donating of the remaining eggs to women that couldn't have babies? Because
1: it's a big thing actually in the states to donate eggs. More so,
0: it's one of my massive regrets that I knew I wasn't going to have kids, and I didn't know that at the time that that could have been a possibility. And I know you shouldn't have regrets in life, but I, I, if I if I would have known about that in my early 30s, because I'd made my decision, I would have totally harvested eggs and given them to, to women.
1: Anything I looked at in the States around that, they wanted people under 25.
0: Yeah. All right. Fair enough.
1: I think too, some of the screening questions were like, "Man, because you get paid like not, you know, you'd hope that you would do it for altruistic reasons, not for the payday, but you get paid like $8,000 or something. But it's a nightmare because you have to take hormones and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so. You, how old are you now, Belle? 39. Oh, so this was only last year. Oh,
1: maybe it was a year before. Hang on.
0: So you, so you got you you, oh, did a... it
1: was 37. Sorry. Fake news. Fake news. Oh. I was 37 when I had but it.
0: But We're going to have to start the podcast again. Oh, sorry. That... 37. 37. So what, during COVID? Like the start of that year that it all started?
1: No, I got it done in 2019, September 2019.
0: Oh, just before, just before the bugs. The bugs, yes, I know. Just before the buggies came. Okay, so you're 39 now, and how has your life changed since?
1: (laughs) Where do we begin? I understand the surgery to be a miracle of sorts. Like I don't think it's a supernatural miracle. I think it was, you know, good surgery, good doctors, good whatever. However, it felt like a miracle. Like to be healed of this thing that I've had for that long that was causing me so much grief was like absolute. It's almost like I got a second chance in life.
0: So you've got no no pain now, just the hormonal fluctuations. Do you question why you waited so long? Why you tried to, why you battled it out?
1: I mean, for one, I try not to, like, like you said, before, I sort of don't have regrets. I think, well, I did make the best decisions I could at the time and I did try and get help for it. But I think what prevents a lot of help for this is the idea that women want children and you can't do anything too aggressive because they might change their minds. So after the age of 35, they tend to sort of trust you a bit more when you're like, I'm, I'm not going to have children. And also too, there was a period in my sort of, early 30s where I was a bit on the fence and where I was like, are we going to have kids, are we not going to have kids, yada, yada, yada. So the fact that potentially, you know, having children could come into the picture impacted the sort of treatment I was going to get because if I was to get, say, endometrial ablation or even hysterectomy before that, well, that would be completely ruled out and I wasn't quite ready, I think, to take that step and say, no, I'm,
0: I'm out. I need to ask you this because I think it's an important thing for people listening to understand too, has it affected your sex life? Having that, has it affected your orgasms? (laughs) Has it affected your, it's a very real topic. It is a
1: real topic. Yes, I will will talk about that. Well, it's one of those things where correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation because, oh God, I hope my mum doesn't listen to this. So I got a divorce during COVID. Let's just say that my recreational activities have shifted since then. And I may or may not have a different partner. And because of that, you know, I'm not sure if it, you would say, Oh, it's because of the hysterectomy that, or if it's other factors, shall we say? I think too, it's like, yes, there is much more orgasmic potential in me. I feel much more freer in my body, much more, I guess, comfortable having a vagina. Uh, cause I think before I had a lot of shame and a lot of. I mean, maybe that has something to do with the endometriosis, maybe not. And I think, too, when you get to your, like, 30s, it's a little bit like, yeehaw, I'm going to have a party, because you're kind of much more comfortable in yourself, you're much more accepting of yourself. And I found that having the surgery just brought out all this life in me, and, like, all this new, I had so much more energy, I wanted to go out dancing, I wanted to do things, I had so much more, kind of, confidence in myself, and trust in myself, so... Sort of has fed into, I guess, my sexuality as well, and that I feel much freer and much more comfortable with, you know, pleasure in general and uh, love in general and being embodied as well like I dance almost as a spiritual practice now and every time I have to say this every time I dance now I always do a little gratitude dance for my surgeons and my doctors and everybody because it's like this is possible because of that surgery like I remember once it like like would have been the eighth of the month and it would have been the day I would have had my period because I tracked it pretty uh religiously and I was like I would be in bed, unable to move right now, and instead I'm in Fitzroy, you know, having a boogie and an aesthetic dance thing. Like, what a gift!
0: Okay, that's good to know because I think uh, people that think about hysterectomies think, "Oh, I'm going to lose my sex drive." So that that's good if you're falling in love with your life and yourself. That also and your mind is not in that whole. Oh, I've lost, I've lost something, but I've gained something. That psycho- psychologically mm-hmm. is a win anyway because you're telling yourself life is joyous, not that you've lost something. Have you got any tips for women possibly your age or younger or even older that um, are going through this and contemplating or feeling the pain and not doing anything about it and contemplating a hysterectomy? Do you have any tips to share?
1: I think there's, I guess, two things I would say. And the first is I think it's helpful to develop a relationship with a GP. I mean, you know, a professional (laughs) relationship with a GP who will know you and. They can walk you through the journey. Like I mentioned the doctor I had in my teens and I know I have absolutely fantastic GP now. And I think when they get to know you, you can kind of work on a treatment plan together. Maybe that will include Mirena. I mean, there's much more options now. Endometriosis is much more discussed. We can thank Emma Wiggle for that because she's done a lot of advocacy work for endometriosis. And I think having, not yet, having the same GP, I have found helpful. I remember somebody said to me like, and I think they were uh, quoting Maya Angelou, like, go with yourself. You'll have a lot of voices, particularly if you're under 40, if you're getting a hysterectomy about your life and, you know, not having kids if, if you don't have kids or what what it means. But one of the reasons why I was actually motivated to speak on this podcast is to be like my life is not a tragedy. Like I have really good things in my life and I love kids and I love pregnancy and I love all of it and I'm also quite okay not having that as part of my life and it's not a bad thing, but that's me and I know myself. And if you feel within yourself that This is something that would cure you. Go for it. You might get a bit of pushback from people, but fuck them. I mean, they're not not the ones suffering five days a month.
0: Yeah. And the very last wrap-up question is, do you love your diagnosis? But as you say, it's not your diagnosis anymore. But are you glad that you experienced it? And how do you think that humbled you as a person dealing with something like that?
1: I think I'm tougher than I look, and I can deal with a lot with a straight face because, you know, I've had to go to work with excruciating pains and still be, hi, everybody, how are you? And make water cooler chat. And even though I guess sort of the compartmentalization of what I'm going through compared to my external affect might be not ideal in some circumstances, I think it's like I kind of pride myself on someone who can show up and do the job.
0: But if you had your time again, you little Aussie battler, now moving forward, is suffering the best option for you? Or are you, are you going to you know, has this been a lesson to like actually maybe look into something in the future instead of just like sitting in silence and having that whole I'm okay mindset?
1: Yes, definitely. And I think too, it's taught me that, you know, you can advocate, you can advocate for yourself and be a bit of a pain in the ass sometimes because I was like, I'm not taking morena I'm not. <laughs> and usually I'm like, you're the one with the medical degree. I'll listen to you. But I was like, fuck, no, I am not doing marina yeah i don't know i think it's good to be a bit of a bit of a pain sometimes
0: yeah be a health karen yeah yeah absolutely investigate research yeah. that's been the common theme for a lot of people that have spoken on this research advocate there was a meme i think i put up on my insta account you're not a difficult patient if you self-advocate Is there anything you wanted to add to wrap up? Or, I mean, it's been an incredible journey that we've, you know, we've put all your suffering into 30 minutes.
1: (laughs) I did think of another bit of advice for anyone who is considering hysterectomy. On Facebook, there's numerous groups for people having hysterectomies and they are the most beautiful place on the internet. Like just imagine a supportive, gorgeous community of women Cheering each other on, when you have a bad day, they help you. You think answer your questions and it's a really like it's the internet at its best.
0: You can send me the link and I'll put it in the podcast notes.
1: Yes. I'll find the ones that I I was on and it actually kind of made me think about the internet a little bit differently because it is really there's some really beautiful people who will help you through the decision making if you just need to chat about
0: it. That's brilliant. For anyone that's looking for support. I'll put the link in the podcast notes. And, yeah, thank you, darling. Thank you so much. It's really good to know a little bit more about your story and see. Oh, thank you, Lainey. See the joy in your face when you're talking about how you're not suffering anymore. My goodness.
1: Yeah, it's really something. Like sometimes I feel like, you know how you turn on TV for a coffee and there's those dodgy evangelists and if I'm healed. Eh, eh. Like I do feel like that
0: sometimes. Amen, sister. <laughs> All right, well, thanks again. Thank you. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is proudly produced by me. My goodness, it's amazing what people can put up with when they just think that something's normal, that they're experiencing. I know myself in my journey when I didn't want to look into things deeper because I actually didn't want to know the answer. In Belle's situation, I think she knew kind of what was going on because she had an inclination and back when she was a teenager, there was word of endometriosis, plus it's in her family, but I just think that her resilience and her tenacity to just move forward stopped her from looking deeper into it. She did try lots of things, realised what worked, what didn't work, pill first, the talk of an IUD, a laparoscopy, endometrial ablation, and finally the option of hysterectomy was the best way moving forward for Bell. That's a really confronting thing to have to come to terms with when you're 36 for a lot of people. But as we heard in Belle's story, she was elated. It was like a gift from the heavens to be able to get out her uterus and live a normal life where she can now experience pleasure in her day-to-day existence, both sexually and just physically and personally without having to deal every 28 days with this excruciating pain that takes over her life. I take my hat off to her. I don't know if I could have done so many years with that pain. It says a lot about her personality. To all the women who are experiencing endometriosis, I hope this has helped shed some light on maybe some ways of moving forward for yourself. If you would like to donate to the running of this podcast and you can afford a few little bucks a month or whatever it is that you can afford to keep the show going without ads, please hit this PayPal button. And if you've got a few loose coins, that would really mean a lot to me and other people who are listening to this podcast and getting seeds of inspiration. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that just means pe- more people will know about it. If you've got a story that you want to share, that you've had success with and that you've researched and found some some joy and gold in your own diagnosis, please hit me up. I'm always happy to share anyone's story. The main takeaway message in these podcasts is get second opinions, find a doctor that you really resonate with and research the shit out of what you're going on. Get back in the driver's seat of your health, everyone. You do not need to take one person's opinion about the rest of your life and how to live it. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm Lainey Godiva.